sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to set your faith ablaze so that you might live the adventure that comes comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Before we get into today's topic, we want you to know that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode or if you have ideas for future episodes, please contact us. The easiest way to do that is by email and the address is ignition at sfcatholic.org. Again, ignition at sfcatholic.org. I'm joined in studio today by Father Tyler Matson. Hi, Father. Hey, Dr. Chris. Great to be here. Good to have you back again. You were here with us last week. If you didn't tune in or haven't heard of Father Tyler before, I'll let him introduce himself in a bit. Um, today, though, Father and I are going to be talking about a woman who was born 100 years ago um, this year. She's passed away, but born 100 years ago this year, named Kiara Lubick. Uh, and why are we talking about her? Why, why would you want to listen to this episode of Ignition? Because she offers a very compelling view, understanding of God and the world that especially matches or, or, or is important for us uh, living here as 21st century Americans. Would that be a fair summary, Father, of why yeah, yeah, somebody should listen? Great, definitely. excellent. So that's what we're talking about today. If you've never listened to Ignition before, my name is Chris Bergwald. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization with the Diocese of Sioux Falls in South Dakota. Been in that role since 2002. Ben Germain's husband, married to Germain uh, in 1999, so tw- almost 21 years as of recording. Um, she's from Ohio. I'm from central Minnesota, the Brainerd Lakes area. Go see, I go. Uh, that'll mean something to some of you, but nothing to most of you. <laughs> um, and But all five of our kids, Jermaine and I have five kids, they're all born here in Eastern Sioux Falls. Go St. Lambert's, but that's another story. <laughs> Father, why don't you introduce yourself sure, a bit sure. to those who don't know who you are? Sure. Well, my name is Father Tyler. I am a priest for the Diocese of Sioux Falls. I've been ordained for three years, and I spent those last three years at Holy Spirit Parish here in town as well as two of those years as the chaplain of the junior high. And actually, very shortly, I'll be moving, uh, but just not very far, not very just far. kind of across town to Christ the King Parish in Sioux Falls. And I'll be able to continue at the junior high while I'm there, but also get to do some college ministry to the colleges in Sioux Falls, as well as some vocation ministry. So you're moving to South Central, man. Yeah. South Central Sioux Falls. Yeah. It's rough down there, man. <laughs> It's you know it's kind of funny if you're not from Sioux Falls there's this there's this street in Minnesota that kind of cuts it this this city in half and it's like the east east west side east side west side is yeah, uh, yeah totally I west. won't get into it it's no, kind of a bloodbath no. though that's <laughs> yeah yeah such <laughs> <laughs> sometimes have to have a sometime uh, that has to be a, have to be a bonus episode of ignition because yeah. people want to listen to it but talk about the <laughs> dynamics because there's also North South Bonson, right? Because yeah. Holy Spirit, where you've been for three years, mm-hmm. um, uh, is down Bonson Avenue from St. Lambert's, which yes. is the parish that that I belong to, and that, yes. that's another reality. Yes. So anyway, we're not here to talk about we're, the gangs of Sioux Falls. Today we'll be friends. Yeah. There's gangs in New York. There's gangs <laughs> in Sioux Falls. Uh, we're going to talk about Kiara Lubick, who yeah. has her own gang, and we'll get into that uh, in this episode. So, Father, who is Kiara Lubick, and again, why yeah. should we care? Yeah, so Kiara Lubick, she she is the founder of a movement in the church called the Focolari a Movement. Bike gang. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, well, it's about two million members, so it'd be a very big, <laughs> very big gang. But uh, I, I I did an episode a while back on the Focolari Movement. So if you want to learn more about the movement in general, you yep. could, you could check that out. Yep. But uh, 
But I wanted to talk about her today because this year is actually the 100th anniversary, like Dr. Chris said, of her birth. So she was born in January of 1920 in Trent, Italy. So Trent's kind of in the northern part of Italy, made famous uh, for Catholics by the Council of Trent right. is where that took place. And There were Olympics there a few years ago, though. Oh, really? Yeah, the, oh. the Winter Olympics. But it, it wasn't. It, we didn't call it Trent. Shoot, I just had this conversation with my wife. Oh, really? Um, you keep going. I'll look okay, it up. okay, okay, okay. Well, so she was. So she was born in Trent, and her her family was. Uh, her her mom was a practicing Catholic, but her dad was a socialist and and a non-believer. And if you know anything about Italian history, kind of uh, not too long after after Chiara's birth was the rise of Mussolini and, right. and fascism. So fascists and socialists were not exactly friends. And <laughs> that, that put that put uh, Chiara's dad kind of out of work. No, I was wrong. Oh. Turin. Oh, Turin, yeah. 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 Well, it's yeah. not too far. Not too far away. Anyway. So, so anyways, so anyways uh, with the rise of Mussolini, Chiara's family kind of fell on some hard times. So they, they were never destitute, but, they, but she grew up pretty poor. Uh, but, but she had a desire to be a teacher. So after she had finished school... She got her teacher's license in, in Italy, and, and she began teaching in a couple of schools. But at one time, she was teaching in a school ran by Franciscan friars. Okay. Um, I should say uh, she was born, uh, her name was Sylvia. That's, that's oh. her birth name. And, and the reason why she's called Chiara is because when she was teaching at this Capuchin school, she's just a young woman in her 20s, uh, a lot of her friends were becoming third-order Franciscans. Which was kind of like kind of like a lay branch of the yep. Franciscan movement, and she decided to join too because that's what everybody else was doing. And some of them were taking on sort of new names, kind of like religious names, as part of this third order. So she wanted to name herself after Saint Claire of Assisi, and and Italian for Claire is Chiara. Yep. So that's kind of how she got that name, and it, and it just sort of stuck. Uh, so for the rest of her life, everybody always called her uh, Chiara. Huh. You know, the interesting thing, though, uh, which which uh, I'll kind of draw this out a few times, even when she had joined the Third Order Franciscans, she didn't feel like that spirituality was really right for the her. The Franciscan cares and the Franciscan spirituality. Yeah, yeah, at least at least in the specific expression that it was, you know, in the Capuchin friars that were around her. Right. Uh, she had a deep love for St. Francis, deep love for St. Clair, but there's something about the spirituality that just didn't fit. And, and that's going to be kind of a recurring theme for some of these early years of her life. Okay. So she, there's nothing too extraordinary about her. She's just teaching in the school. And, you know, she she grew up very uh, faithful Catholic, and, and she uh, had a deep love for the Lord. Uh, in, in December of 1943, so, so she's 23, there was a, a moment in her life where she's living at home, and this is so simple. Her mom needed milk. They were out of milk. Well, to go get milk, it was like a mile and a half walk or something. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was not an easy trip to go play the place where they bought the milk. And she had two sisters living at home and, and neither of them wanted to go get the milk. And they both said no. So <laughs> Kiara, Kiara was like, okay, fine. I'll go, I'll go get the milk. <laughs> you get the milk. No. <laughs> and, and really, you know, for her, she was like, well, this, this will just be an opportunity for me to love my mom, you know, to right. love my family. I'll, I'll go get the milk. So she's she's out and she's walking to go uh, buy milk for her family, and while she's there, she stops in her tracks because she has this powerful and clear moment 
where she can hear God asking her in her heart, God saying to her, give yourself to me. Mm. Give yourself to me. Now, w- one thing about Kiara, Kiara and her personality is that she, she was a very passionate woman. Uh, and, and, if, and if she would get an idea in her head, she wanted to do it. So she gets home from, from getting the milk, and she writes to her, the priest who, who served as her confessor. And she says, I want to consecrate myself to God, uh, you know, like perpetual virginity. Well, this is a 23-year-old woman, right? right, and, right, and, and, this is right. The, and this is the first time this priest is hearing about this. Now, most priests would probably tell her, well, come back to me in 10 years. Right, right. <laughs> and, like, we'll see if you still want to do it, you know. But, but she was so passionate, so convincing that eventually this priest met with her and was kind of asking her some questions about it. And he said, you know, if you give yourself to God, you, your, your family will all get married, your, your siblings will get married, they'll have kids, but you're, you might die all alone, you know, because mm. you, you would never gotten married, you never have kids. And she told her confessor, she says, well, so long as there's one tabernacle in the world, I'll never be alone. Mm. And that was enough to convince this priest and later that month, so less than a month later, uh, the priest gave her permission. Actually, it was just a few days later, gave her permission to, to, do, to do this private consecration wow. to God. Okay. So December 7th, so this is just a few days after that experience of, of getting milk. December 7th, uh, she was going to go to the church, just kind of a daily mass, and she was going to make this consecration to God. Well, that night... Uh, the night before, the priest suggested to her, well, you should make an all-night vigil, which was kind of a, a pious practice at the time, you know, before right. an important uh, moment that you would stay up all night praying. And while she was doing that, she just had the feeling that this doesn't seem right. Like, this, 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 this like, I don't think, she was like, I don't think, I don't think this all-night vigil, this, this doesn't seem like right to me, you know, and she fell asleep. Uh, so you might remember when she became the third or Francis, yeah, she's like, this, this doesn't, doesn't seem, seem right. quite right, right? Yep. So, uh, so she falls asleep. Um, but then she she wakes up the next day, goes to the church, and you'll find out more in just a moment. Sure. You've, you're listening. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Ignition. I'm Chris Bergwald, your host, talking today with Father Tyler Matson of the Diocese of Sioux Falls about the life and importance to us today of of Chiara Lubick, um, a woman who was born in northern Italy um, in 1920, so a hundred years ago. She passed away several years ago, but this would be this is her hundredth mm-hmm. birthday this year, back in January. Right. So, right. so she. She's decided as a 23-year-old young woman um, to consecrate herself to God. Mm-hmm. She was going to pull an all-nighter of prayer, essentially. Mm-hmm. Falls asleep, goes to church the next day, December 7th, yeah. and... And she does a very simple moment where the priest is saying Mass, and, and during communion, she says this very simple prayer of, you know, I give myself to God, you know, in perpetual chastity and virginity for the rest of my life, kind of the, the priest has sort of given her the formula to, to say this. And and after the Mass is over, she's she's praying in the church, and the priest who was saying Mass kind of came and, and was praying behind her for a few moments, and then the priest came over to her, and I think, you know, just to just to give her some some words of, of reflection, said, you will be a bride of blood. And and it's it's kind of she she kind of said the priest well you know thank thank you for that but she goes but she goes I don't think I I don't think I'm gonna be a bride of blood you know in her heart she's like that, that doesn't That's, seem right doesn't to me doesn't seem right to me. and she says she says because I'm not 
I'm not a bride of blood. She goes, I'm a bride of God. She goes, I'm a bride of God. Uh, and and it was this very clear to her after a consecration that in this very simple moment that she had given herself totally over to God, that she was married to God. And and I keep kind of bringing up these, it doesn't seem right moments, because I think what, what the Lord was leading her to was going to be a, a new a new spirituality for the 21st century. And a lot of these sort of reflections back to maybe uh, a certain piety mm-hmm. that was probably prevalent in Italy in the 1940s just didn't really speak to her heart. And, and, and she just had this deep sense already at that young age that the Lord was calling her to something new. Okay. Not that that was bad, those things that came before, but this, that she was, she was called to something new. Uh, so, so I just, just to clarify real quick sure. then. So her, her, her consecration, I mean, it was completely private. There was no, I mean, she just did it after communion yeah. during a daily mass. Totally. Okay. Her, her family didn't even know if she did okay. this. It was this, it was just <clears throat> her own initiative. And she, the only thing that really marked the occasion was on her way home after the mass, she bought three red carnations. I thought you were going to say three gallons of milk. Oh, no, no, no. I think they already had enough milk. So she bought three red carnations, and, and she put them in front of her crucifix in her room, mm. just as a sign of, of this moment. And and, and to this day, uh, when when men or women give themselves uh, over to God in the Focolari movement, there's still the, those three red carnations, and they'll often still use uh, Chiara's crucifix. Uh, the reason why that December 7th, 1943, moment of consecration is so important because that's really considered the start of the Focolari movement. Okay. When, when, when Chiara gives herself to God in that way, uh, that's considered the, the, the very first uh, moment of this new movement. And the reason why that is, is because already at this time, Chiara just being a very charismatic figure, a very passionate young woman, a good teacher, she already had sort of a circle of friends uh, a circle of students who who were kind of following her. Sure. And because she had a way of speaking about God that really moved people. Yep. But when she kind of shared this experience with these young women of, of her giving herself to God, uh, they wanted to do it too. Mm. You know, so that's when some of these other young women started doing similar consecrations um, and kind of this first group of, of young women in Trent that would eventually sort of blossom into this movement around the world mm-hmm. uh, was kind of being formed, but it started with this very simple uh, consecration. Okay. Um, around the same time, uh, Kiara w- w- was, was teaching, still a teacher teaching in a school, and she was praying in the chapel one day, and, and just a priest who was visiting came up to her because uh, he saw her praying, and he said, would you be able to offer me one hour of your day just for my ministry, you know? And Kiara loved priests. And like I said already, she's a very passionate woman. So she said, well, why not just my whole day? You know, like, why, like, why an hour? Why can't I offer you my whole day? And the, the priest was so moved, he asked her to kneel down and he blessed her. And, and in the blessing, he told her, God loves you immensely. And, and those words hit Kiara like a thunderbolt. God loves me immensely. God loves me immensely. God loves you immensely. And she just started telling anybody that would listen, God loves you immensely. And again, this might, you know, I think we're 
maybe take it for granted in, in a in a post-Vatican II church that, that God is love and that we know that God loves us. Uh, but, but this was really a message that was not spoken very clearly in Kiara's time, right. uh, in the place where she grew up. That this fact from you know from First John that God is love, that that's his very nature. So when this priest said, God loves you immensely, that was for Kiara this sort of awakening of, of this truth of who God is. I, I think actually that, to me, that very con- much connects Father with um, part of your story that we discussed mm-hmm. in last, last week's episode, um, where you became, as a high school junior, aware of God's personal love for you. Yeah. I, I think, <clears throat> frankly, the post-Vatican II churches you talked about, I think people a lot of people heard that God loves us, mm-hmm. or that God is love, but I still think there's a lot of Catholics yeah. that don't realize, let alone anybody else, who don't realize, actually, no, God loves me. Like, yeah. like there's a personal reality. It's not private. He loves, he mm-hmm. does love all of us, mm-hmm. but it's not a faceless mass of humanity that he loves. Mm-hmm. He loves Kiara Lubick. Yeah. He loves Father Tyler Matson. He loves Chris Bergwald. He yeah. loves me and every one of us. Right. Um, so I still, this is like, we still have a ways to go, but certainly, yeah, for sure. certainly in the, um, in, in uh, 50 years ago, that was very or more in this case, mm-hmm. um, uncommon as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it just, it hit her like a, like a lightning bolt. And that really became sort of the, the first foundation of this new spirituality that that God was forming in her heart, uh, the foundation is that God is love. Yeah. Um, that God is a Father, and and this Father loves us. And and what we need to do then is just to believe in the in the love that God has mm. for us. So those were a few moments of of sort of like Kiara being drawn into this relationship with God. Uh, but you might be maybe you've already thought about it. Okay, Italy. 1940s wasn't something else going on. You're right. Yeah, so, exactly. So, so World War II was was raging at this time, and Trent, the city where Kiara lived, was actually bombed by both the Axis and the Allies. So, <laughs> it was it was a it was an unfortunate place to be living during the war because uh, oftentimes they would have to go to the bomb shelter three four times a day mm. because there would be that many bombings in one day, and while Kiara was in these bomb shelters with some of her early friends, like I said, she kind of had this group of, of, of young women around her, they would bring the book of the Gospels with them. So while the bombs were, were kind of raging outside, they'd be in the shelter with a candle just reading the Gospels. And while they were doing that, there were certain passages of the Gospels that were just coming alive to them. And it was kind of like they were hearing scripture for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, of course, they'd heard it before in mass and all that kind of stuff. But, but, but this was sort of like a, a new awakening. And and s- some of those scripture passages that were sort of jumping off of the page were were things like, "Love one another as I have loved you," uh, the new commandment of Jesus. Uh, so they said, "Okay, well, if that's what the Bible says. Then let's be willing to die for each other." You know, uh, that's how we're supposed to love. Uh, they read, you know, in Matthew's gospel, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. And they said, okay, well, that must mean that if, that if we love one another, uh, that, that Jesus is here, you know? So like we can actually have Jesus with us always whenever we love one another. So let's do that. Um, you know, they, they would read, whatever you do to the least of these, you, you did it to me. And they said, oh, well, who is the least? Oh, well, there's that woman who, uh, you know, her husband died in the war and now she doesn't have any bread. Let's go bring her bread. Or there's that young boy who doesn't have any mm. shoes. Let's go get him shoes. And they just started loving in very concrete ways. But it was all fruits of the scriptures. They would mm. read it in scripture and they'd say, oh, 
well, let's do that. Um, probably the one that hit them the most was was in John 17, and they read, may they all be one. The, 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 the prayer of unity that Christ prayed to his father the night before he died, may they all be one. And, and they said, well, this is what Jesus wanted so much that he prayed for it before he died. Like, let's make this the aim of our lives. Uh, let's, let's live our lives for unity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and they did. And they said, well, how, well how, do you, how do you bring about unity? By loving one another as Christ loved us and by having the presence of Jesus in their midst. So all, mm-hmm. these, all these things, and how do you love one another? Through very concrete acts of love. So all right. these things were like coming alive in Kiara's heart. And, and you know, <clears throat> I think back to when I said, it didn't quite feel right for Kiara. Uh, well, this started to feel right for her because she mm. said, if Jesus is true and if the Gospels are true, then that must mean that we're called to actually live the Gospels. Like the Gospels are not meant to be just a letter that we study or something we hear on Sundays, but the, but the Gospels are actually meant to be embodied in our lives. Mm. Uh, and, and they started doing that just in a very practical way. And and their hearts sort of came alive from it. Wow. So so this this is still all during the war then? Yeah, this is all. I mean, she's, she's still just a young woman in her 20s during all this okay. is happening. A young woman in her 20s mm-hmm. um, during a, a, a massive World War II, a massive mm-hmm. war. Um, and I, I, what I love about that, I think, is um, just the Gospels coming alive in a new way and sort of just in a very practical way, mm-hmm. seeking to live them. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Totally, yeah. And and it's uh, all around them, the, the, these bombs were destroying everything that they knew. Uh, and, you know, for example, Kiara was, was kind of going for further education and to study philosophy. And, and literally the road to the university was destroyed. Like she oh, couldn't get well. there anymore. <laughs> And, and this was happening to, like, other people. And she said, well, there has to be something we can live for that bombs can't destroy. Mm. And she said, well, that's God. You know, we, we have to make God the ideal of our life. Um, and, and they said, okay, let's starting now. Let's just make God the ideal of our life. We're only going to live for him. Okay. Um, like I said, there was this group of young women who, who kind of followed Kiara. And, and other people would kind of come and would visit them because they were living together in Trent, these young women. And after these visitors would, would visit with them, they said, whenever we're with Kiara and her friends, it feels like we're at, uh, like we're with our family around the fireplace, around the hearth. Uh, it just feels like a family atmosphere. Well, the Italian word for hearth, for fireplace, is focolare. So right. that's how that name, focolare, got attached to this group of women, was because it felt like a family. Mm. Uh, to skip ahead a little bit in the story, uh, more and more people started being attracted to this new way of life that that Kiara and her and her friends were living, of of putting the gospel into practice, um, of of choosing God as the ideal of their life, and of of this reality that that God is love and that He loves me immensely, and they started kind of gathering in the Dolomite Mountains in Italy during the summers, starting in 1949, so after the war was over. And it grew and it grew and it grew, and, and by 1959 they have they had 12,000 people uh, coming to wow. these summer gatherings. Uh, but but that very first one, 1949, uh, was was very significant for Kiara, because again she's still she's still just a um, you know a 20 something, probably late 20s at this point, and she had this series of um, very powerful prayer experiences, these mystical experiences. Um, 
that that ended up being sort of the groundwork for for the Focolari movement uh, going on. Okay. Um, just to kind of share one more uh, sort of brief story that that uh, to understand who Kiara is and, and why she's for our time. Um, she had a friend who who was sick, who had kind of a a, a face disease, a skin disease, and uh, a, a priest was visiting her, and and he just asked Kiara. When do you think Jesus suffered the most? And Kiara said, "Well, probably during the during the agony in the garden, because that's what she was told. You know, that was when Jesus suffered the most." And he goes, "Well, the priest says I think it was when Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me?'" And then the priest left, and Kiara said, "Well, if that's if that's when Jesus suffered the most, that must mean that's when he loved the most. Mm. So let's choose to love that Jesus." So Jesus forsaken, the Jesus who cries out, mm. my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, uh, became the spouse of, of Kiara, uh, Jesus forsaken. And, and she lived the rest of her life for Jesus forsaken, uh, looking for him and every single person that suffered, every experience of suffering, that, that, that the war was, was Jesus forsaken, that, that communism at the time was Jesus forsaken, that atheism is, is Jesus forsaken, um, and, and that you can love Jesus forsaken. Uh, and then by loving him, he's the one that brings about unity because on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experiences all sin, all disunity. Um, but then he's the one who says, you know, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Right. And he brings about unity. So uh, unity, Jesus forsaken. These, these are the two things that, that Kiara lived her whole life for. Unity and Jesus forsaken. So the movement that sort of grew up around her then— mm-hmm is focusing, focuses on, well, is focusing on <clears throat> um, unity among all peoples? Yeah, so this was, you know, Kiara really followed the plan of God in all of this. Um, if you can tell, pretty much every moment in her life was inst- was uh, was started by a priest telling her something. Mm-hmm. She had a deep love for the church. She always, her entire life, deep love for the church, deep, deep trust in priests and bishops. Uh, and she was just really open. So, at first, they just thought it was meant unity among Catholics. Well, then they started meeting some Protestants who were interested in this, and and the church encouraged them. They said, "Well, you should start, you know, reaching out to Protestants." So they did, and then uh, people who weren't even Christian started being interested. So wow. the church said, "Well, you should think about doing stuff with other religions," and then non-believers. So, uh, so at this point, you know, they they want unity with the whole human family. Um, Catholic specifically, but then also with with non-Catholic Christians and with and with uh, non-Christians and with, with non-believers, um, but again, all based off of of this this ideal of, of unity. And and with Jesus Forsaken, what what are some examples of today how this movement really seeks to love Jesus Forsaken? Yeah, so a couple of things going on in the world right now. You may have heard of the coronavirus yes. pandemic. Um, that, that 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 is a big Jesus forsaken. Uh, uh, this time of uncertainty, this time of confusion, this time of uh, uh, a lot of a lot of pain, a lot of doubt, uh, and and that's what Christ experienced Himself on the cross. So that's, that's probably a place where right now uh, we can still is. live love, live Great. the gospel. Great. Thank you for being here with us today and sharing sure. with us about the life and importance of Kiara Lubick. Definitely. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, you can email us at ignition at sfcatholic.org with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.